you pray with me? Almighty one, always with us in all times and in all places, God of 5 p.m., God of morning traffic, God of laundry and oil changes and crayon drawings on the wall, always with us in all times and in all places, God of coffee and God of fits of giggles, God of Legos and soccer and piano lessons, always with us in all times and in all places. God in our exhaustion and anger, God in our questions and frustration, God in sickness and poverty and weeping and grief, always with us in all times and in all places. God, in our fears of war, of death, of oppression. God, in our hypocrisy and unbridled privilege and greed. Always with us in all times and in all places. God, in our joy and comfort and patience and kindness and rising up and renewal always with us in all times and in all places. God, in your limitlessness, God, in the quiet, God, in the crashing waves, God, in the sunrise and the sunset, always with us in all times and in all places. God, of grandbabies and brothers and cousins and neighbors and heroes, God of pilgrims and godly play, God of family, God of study and justice and beauty and prayer and work and community, always with us in all times and in all places, always here, always with us, pushing us forward, cradling us, listening, talking, singing, dancing, always with us in all times and in all places. God of life and God of love, loving us too much to leave us as we are. God of Aaron and her and the thief on the cross, God of Hagar. It's just good to know you're here. It is too much to comprehend. It is good to know you are here. Amen and amen. Well, this winter we are walking through a series on our core values. We identified these in 2007 after a long discernment process. And as Betsy so beautifully prayed through them, they are community, study, prayer, beauty, work, and justice. And tonight we're talking about the value of community. And here is our value. 
We are a worshiping community in the heart of downtown Knoxville. We seek to be a family that experiences life together in a healthy manner, in both joy and sorrow, through table fellowship, play, celebration, and compassionate care for one another, in time of need by watching and listening for where the Spirit is at work and joining in there. We want to model our life together like an actual biological family, sharing meals together, playing together, celebrating together, mourning together. We gather in larger and smaller groups with some being gender specific. The small group is our primary nuclear family while we desire developing and deepening intergenerational relationships beyond the small group. Well, each week we've looked at a different scripture that's kind of a home base for the value. Of course, the values come from all across scripture. And this week we'll be looking at Mark 3, 31 to 35. Jesus is in the early months of his ministry. He has begun performing miracles. Uh, He's become popular. And just before this we read, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. So his family thinks that he has a mental problem or perhaps is demon-possessed. And they show up at his house to kind of take him home, calm him down, and uh, avoid a problem. And then we read this in Mark 3, 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This would have been a stunning statement uh, to his Jewish listeners. Uh, They valued family above all else. And so essentially what Jesus is saying is that when you choose to follow me, you are joined into a new spiritual family, my family, that in some sense, and I know this is hard to think about, I'm not even sure all of what it means, but in some way supersedes even your biological family. Whoa, that's that's challenging. And you can't really get out of it. This is not like an elective, like I'm saved, the family thing, you know, I'll let somebody else do that. No, (laughs) when you are saved, you are saved into the family of God. That metaphor comes up a lot in scripture. Uh, Here's a couple of them. 1 Timothy 5, treat the members of the church like fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. God is our heavenly father, and we are his sons and daughters. Everyone who believes is adopted into the family of God. So we want to behave like a healthy family, which is not always easy to do if you've ever been a part of a family. Um, What are the characteristics of a healthy spiritual family? Well, family therapist Christine Vander has written a simple essay. 
identifying five characteristics of a healthy family, I thought we'd look at it briefly and then ask if that's what's healthy about the biological family, um, what would it look like for us as a church? So first, there are clear boundaries in the family. Family members are clear about their needs and communicate them. There aren't relational triangles where two members talk about the third member. Uh, Family members take responsibility for their own role in the family system, but not somebody else's role. Differences among family members are celebrated. And the Bible actually talks about the Christian family like that too. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, there's this beautiful picture of the body of Christ. And for the body does not consist of one member, but many members. God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then he goes into this beautiful analogy. You might be an ear, a foot, or a nose, or a hand, or an eyeball. And the idea is everybody has a unique role to play in the family of God. So in a healthy church family, everybody know their role. You know what, what role you play. You wouldn't uh, feel pressured or guilted into playing a role that's not really you. You would play the role that God called you to play. Difference would be celebrated. We wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't kind of elevate one particular role over others. Second mark of a healthy family, relationships within the family are seen as important. I guess every, we've all seen a TV show or a you know, kind of the classic dysfunctional family. The daughter's in a room on her iPad. The son's playing a video game. Dad's scrolling through the paper on his phone. Mom might be on the computer. People are grabbing plates, going up to their room to eat. Healthy families don't just live together under the same roof. They prioritize relationships like Robert was talking about, knowing and being known. They share meals, they listen, they talk, they take vacations, they stay connected. And so we want to be a community where you do more than come to church, where you can know and be known by at least a handful of others. Paul puts it like this to the church family in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, make your relationships really important. That's really a priority in the body of Christ. A couple of ways you can get connected relationally at All Souls. Our pilgrimage class, we're having that right now, a good way to get to meet some folks. Small groups like Robert mentioned, by the way, uh, talk to him if you'd like to start one or join one. The Anamkara circles that Anne is developing, uh, we're kind of going back. There was a lovely woman here who passed away named Suzanne Hassel, and she had this wonderful ministry of spiritual friendship, and, uh, and we're kind of bringing that back in a fresh new way. Um, There's a a group called Campfire on the Margins that's especially if you're kind of rebuilding your faith. There's a writer's group. 
There's a Wednesday morning prayer group. There's monthly community suppers. There's Monday night Bible studies and a lot of informal stuff as well. So there are ways to get connected. Uh, Larry Crabb describes the church like this. He says, a central task of community is to create a place that is safe enough for the walls to be torn down, safe enough for each of us to own and reveal our brokenness. Only then can the power of connecting do its job. Only then can community be used by God to restore our souls. So as Robert said, we we don't expect you to have all those relationships here in our church, but uh, we would hope that you'd have a few uh, in our church like that. Third mark of a healthy family. By the way, I always find these lists depressing. <laughs> we'll get to that at the end. Uh, there is open communication among all family members. Healthy families communicate well. It's respectful, straightforward, open, honest, and kind. Everybody's kind of on the same page. There are no secrets. The family sets aside a regular time to share and plan. Family members feel listened to. Leaders receive feedback with empathy, even if they disagree. And of course, this is all over the New Testament as well. Here's a couple of scriptures. Uh, Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Pursue love. Speak the truth in love. Therefore, having pulled aside falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We're all members of one another. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Linda Hamilton has a a beautiful way of describing uh, kind of a a way of relating that we aspire to. Uh, I reached out to her and asked for her to summarize kind of a lot of the teachings she's done in our body. She said, my hope is that the people of All Souls Church develop a dialogic way of being with each other that permeates all our interactions. While true dialogue requires a container, a dialogic way of being that grounds itself in the principle of dialogue is available in every interaction where we see the other as one with worth and value and speak with them in ways where they know they are seen and heard, where they know we value their thoughts even if we don't agree with them, and they know we'll help them if we can and we won't cancel or reject them. The fourth characteristic of a healthy family, conflict is allowed. Family members are allowed and encouraged to disagree and voice their disagreement. When conflict occurs, it's resolved. There's freedom in the family for mistakes and failures. There's forgiveness and moving on from conflict. So one of the marks of a healthy spiritual family is that people can disagree and have conflict and move through it. Ephesians 4.26 Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
The last mark of a healthy family, family members have an attitude of service toward one another and others. A healthy family lives for others. Children kind of seem to know this intuitively when they're little. They're always saying, hey, can I help? Can I help? My son would always want to uh, ask if he could help me mow the yard. And we finally bought a fake little plastic lawnmower, and he would go out. And it would take me about four times longer, but he would help me. And then when they get old enough to actually help, they mysteriously lose any desire to help. But, <laughs> but I don't know how that happens. But they're born with a desire to help, and that's what a healthy family does. Galatians 6.10, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the family of faith. Mark 10.45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So a healthy church family is one that lives for others. Now, I, I only half-jokingly mentioned that I, I always... I feel a little depressed when I look at these lists of the ideal family. <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm, now that our family has grown, I think, ah, ooh, 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 ooh. You realize it kind of falls short. The other reason, though, is I find this a very dangerous sermon. And let me give you an illustration why. Larry Crabb is this, uh, he passed away. He's a counselor and a writer. He's very gifted. He, he's written some wonderful books on the church. And he has a way of casting a vision for the church that is so beautiful, so powerful, so compelling that it just makes you want to leave the church forever <laughs> because you'll never experience it. I, I was reading one of his uh, books on the church and I finally just put it down. I couldn't read anymore because it was just this beautiful vision of what it should be. And I just thought, that is great, Larry. And that may work really well in your study, but I just, uh, we're humans and, you know, we don't get it all right. And so I think one of the things we have to balance with this, the scripture's vision of a healthy spiritual family is the reality that we're also sinners and broken and we bring all our stuff from our family into this family and mix it all up. And so one of the great challenges to following Christ over many years, I think, is disillusion and disappointment with the church as a family. Uh, if you're around here long, that's one thing I always say to the pilgrims. I say, there's a few things I'll promise we'll do. <laughs> one of them is, I promise you, we will hurt you. <laughs> That's just, you can take it for granted that this church will hurt you at some point along the way. That's, we're families. Families have their shadows. I was thinking about this, and the book that still addresses this better than any other, in my opinion, is Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he was a, a pastor. Uh, he wrote this actually as a series of lectures to seminarians in a hidden seminary right as Nazism was breaking out. And a lot of the book was about idealism that destroys community. I've never read anybody else address it like this. Uh, the first part of the book, he talks about wish dreams that we take into, in other words, fantasies Finally, I have found my people. They're going to love me. They're going to take care of me. 
Bonhoeffer says, that's death. <laughs> when you have a fantasy of what the church is going to be. And then he says the other thing that, that kills community is entering into common life as demanders instead of thankful recipients. And I bet a lot of this happens unconsciously. You know, maybe you got beat up in your family or the last church and you come in and you're kind of hurting and there's an unconscious sense that finally these are the people that are going to give me the respect I need and the love that I need. It's probably mostly unconscious. Bonhoeffer says, just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others. <laughs> with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves. <laughs> I love that. He says one of the best things that can happen is you just become totally disillusioned with the church, other people, all Christians, and yourself. <laughs> and then he, he continues to press into this, uh, and he says that if you do that, this reorientation occurs and then here's a quote. He says, in the end, isn't the sinning brother still a brother? Will not his sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God and Jesus Christ? Thus, the very hour of disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparably salutary because it so thoroughly teaches me Neither of us can live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed which binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. That may be something just to think about, about this particular value. For some reason, it didn't strike me as much in the other values, is there might be some lamenting, some grieving, that has to happen around this value is you look at the gap between, okay, All Souls 2007 says, this is who we want to be. Our experience has been far beneath that. I think we've tried hard, but my goodness, big gap between what we said, where we are. I'd like to say, and you know what? It's never going to happen again. We've got it figured out now. It's going to be great but I'd be lying. I think what's required now is just kind of some inner work, inner work of disillusionment and can I hang in with my people and my community even when they've disappointed me and not met all the unconscious needs I brought with me into the relationship. And I think the whole point of life together is that if you can get to that point if you can really go down that far, you come up in a very healthy way to enter into the community. And if you don't, you just become a consumer and you bounce from church to church, or today you bounce out and you post things about being ex-evangelical or whatever the buzzword is today and how, how much you hate the church. You don't want to do that. That's not helping anybody. Let's pray. Oh God, I'm glad that we end with the Eucharist. I'm just so aware, so aware of 
all the ways I failed as a father in my own family and all the broken relationships after 34 years of ministry. And Lord, if I just looked at that standard and Larry Crabb's quote, I, I think some days I'd just, I'd just quit. And maybe there are some here tonight that kind of feel that way. Just like, God, I'm over it. I've tried so hard. I still feel like an outsider. People don't know me still. People don't appreciate me still. I think those are probably real feelings. Somehow, Lord, I, I pray that when we come to the cross in this broken place, and just that tonight maybe we could bring the bitter places in our hearts towards people who've hurt us, the, the loneliness of not being known, the, the missing of dear friends and family who've broken off relationship. If somehow we could just come to the table, come to the blood, and just plead the blood. Lord, I pray especially for those of us that have some deep wounds from our families of origins. And so we bring them into this family and it gets all mixed up and confused. Thank you for the blood. Lord, we're here tonight not because we think we've got this down, but because we know we don't. And we end with the table every week because we know we're so aware of our relational failures. We're just so aware of it. Everybody in this room, I bet, is aware of it. And so we don't come to this table to try harder and do better this week. We come because we desperately need your grace to be the kind of friends and fathers, and mothers, sisters, brothers you want us to be. We need the blood. Come, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. The Lord be with you. And lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord.